Chapter 19 of The Story of Eclipses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amelia Chesley. The Story of Eclipses by George Chambers. Chapter 19 Eclipses in Shakespeare and the Poets. The sound of these words may be large, but facts do not bear out the theory for eclipses do not appear to have captivated our great poets to anything like the extent that moon, stars, and comets have done. Shakespeare has a few allusions to eclipses, but they are not of prime importance. In Macbeth we find, And slips of you shivered in the moon's eclipse, Act 4, Scene 1, the precise meaning of which is not very obvious. Shivered, of course, means divided into pieces, but the idea intended is obscure. The next quotation is more comprehensive, and reflects more plainly the current of thought prevalent in Shakespeare's day, albeit here again the word eclipse will be found to stand without much definite connection with what goes before. However, the reader shall judge for himself. As stars with trains of fire and dews of blood, disasters in the sun, and the moist star upon whose influence Neptune's empire stands, was sick almost to doomsday with eclipse. Hamlet, Act One, Scene One. In King Lear we seem to come upon something very definitely historical, but I am not able to say what it is. The Earl of Gloucester says, These late eclipses in the sun and moon portend no good to us. With this, Edmund, Gloucester's son, apparently agrees, for he exclaims, These eclipses do portend these divisions. Act One, Scene Two. In Othello, the Moor of Venice himself, in a moment of excitement, says, O oh, insupportable, O oh, heavy hour, methinks it should be now a huge eclipse of sun and moon, and that the affrighted globe should yawn at alteration. Act Five, Scene Two. In Antony and Cleopatra, we find Anthony expressing what our forefathers so often thought in connection with astronomical matters. Alack! Our terrine moon is now eclipsed, and it portends alone the fall of Anthony. Act Three, Scene Eleven. Milton has an allusion to an eclipse of the sun, which possesses a twofold interest, intrinsic and extrinsic. The former feature will be self-evident when the passage is read. The poet, in describing the faded splendor of the fallen archangel, compares him to the sun seen under circumstances which have temporarily deprived it of its normal brilliancy and glory. As when the sun new-risen looks through the horizontal misty air, shorn of his beams, or from behind the moon in dim eclipse, disastrous twilight sheds on half the nations, and with fear of change perplexes monarchs. It has been well said by Dr. Orchard that this passage affords us an example of the sublimity of Milton's imagination, and of his skill in adapting the grandest phenomena of nature to the illustration of his subject. What I alluded to in saying that extrinsic interest attached to this quotation is the fact that these lines might have caused the suppression of the poem as a whole. Mrs. Todd puts the matter thus, Paradise Lost was begun probably in 1658, although not finished until 1663, nor its thorough revision completed until 1665. The censorship still existed, and Tomkins, one of the chaplains through whom the archbishop gave or refused license, although a broad-minded man than many of his day, 
found this passage especially objectionable. The poem was allowed to see the light only through the interposition of a friend of Milton. Upon such slender chances may hang the life of an incomparable work of art. But it is easy to see that in the turbulent days when Charles the Second had returned to power, after the death of Cromwell, these lines should have been deemed dangerously suggestive in imputing to monarchs perplexity and fear of change. Other allusions to eclipses by Milton will be found as follows. Through the air she comes, lured with a smell of infant blood, to dance with Lapland witches, while the laboring moon eclipses at their charms. Paradise Lost, Book Two, Lines 663-666 through 666. So saying, he dismissed them, they with speed their course through thickest constellation held, spreading their bane, the blasted stars looked wan, and planets planet struck, real eclipse, then suffered. Paradise Lost, Book Ten, Lines 410 to 414. O oh, dark, 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 amid the blaze of noon, irrevocably dark, total eclipse, without all hope of day. Samson Agonistes, Lines 80 through 82. It was that fatal and perfidious bark, built in the eclipse and rigged with curses dark, that sunk so low that sacred heart of thine. Lysidius, lines 100 to 102. Pope, in the following lines, may be presumed to mean that the covering up of the sun by the moon during a total eclipse results in the moon becoming visible at the cost of the sun's disappearance. For envied wit, like soul eclipsed, makes known the posing body's grossness, not its own. Essay on Criticism, lines 469 through 470. I have not attempted to pursue this matter through the pages of our modern poets, but it is not unlikely that Scott and Tennyson, especially, would have something on the subject of eclipses. End of chapter 19